BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very of all slow. The, of all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Hello, everybody. I'm Robert Evans. This is Behind the Bastards, the podcast where every week we talk about the worst people in all of history. And today we have a very special episode. Uh, Today we're talking about the man keeping 8chan alive, or at least trying to. It's a fellow named Jim Watkins. Um, And I should probably summarize for my listeners who have not somehow caught this story, even though I've, I've covered it pretty heavily all of 2019. Uh, A-Chant was started as a, a radical free speech bastion on the internet and kind of the, the, the image of a site called 4chan. One of its sections, Poll, became a hive of outright Nazism and gradually grew dedicated to inspiring acts of terrorism. In March of this year, one of the members of Poll live-streamed a video of himself ma- massacring Muslims in mosques in New Zealand. This was the Christchurch Massacre. I'm sure everybody heard of that. Uh, since then, 8chan members carried out two more shootings in Poway and El Paso before the site was pulled off the internet. In the weeks since, there's been one one more shooting in Hall, Germany, which was carried out by another poster from Poll. Uh, the website is currently down, but its new owner and the subject of today's episode, Jim Watkins, is working tirelessly to bring it back online. But before we get to Jim, we should probably talk about the elephant of the room, uh, which is the fact that my guest today, Frederick Brennan, is the creator of 8chan in the first place back in 2013. Hello, Frederick. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing, you know, as good as could be, uh, expected yeah this is uh this is a, an intri- an odd episode I'm, I'm sure it's one i i didn't expect to record um but you and i have started working together a little bit over the last couple of weeks we just put out an article in bellingcat uh about the state right. of california's failure to bring 8chan back on and you've um you've become pretty uh, pretty much an activist against the site's resurrection i think it'd be fair to say sure yeah that would be fair 
Um, so, again, I, I think a lot of our listeners, you've done a lot of interviews before, so I don't want to go too crazy into detail on, on you know, your whole backstory, because people can find plenty of that if they want to. But for the sake of making this whole episode internally consistent, could you, like, kind of walk us through a little bit of your background up to, like, what kind of inspired you to create 8chan in the first place? Right. So, you know, I was an image board user for a very long time, starting in... Um, when I was 12 years old on 4chan. So obviously that's a great place to spend your teenage years. And yeah. There is <laughs> yeah. um, no problem with that at all. So uh, obviously, you know, it kind of warps how you think about, you know, broader society and yourself and all sorts of things because you spend all your time in anonymous communication, basically. Um I, you know, had been involved in 4chan for those years. And in 2010, when 4chan's owner removed uh, the board that would later become the poll board, it, it used to, it was originally called N for News. So he removed that and he also removed the uh, R9K board. It just turned out that those were the two boards that I at that time, at least, was using the most, so... And what was R9K? Uh, Robot 9000. I don't know where that name really comes from. I do know that the original intent of R9K was that you couldn't make the same post twice, meaning if anybody had ever posted something, it couldn't be posted again. That was the original intention. Oh, neat. Okay. Right. It, it it started neat, I suppose, but it quickly just turned into uh, a very sad, very kind of depressing board, to be honest, because, because people couldn't really repost memes, you know, they would mostly just tell stories about their life, and the images they would post would tend to be, because uh, they wouldn't want to get muted by the auto-moderator that will not allow you to post the same thing twice, so they would tend to post, you know, stories about their life, stories about things that had happened. And given that we were all, you know, uh, image board users, teenagers that were most likely uh, socially awkward, you know, the stories quickly all became depressing. Um, Wizard Chan grew out of R9K, as did, I would say, a lot of the modern incel movement now uh would you would you explain what wizard chan is because this is we're getting into some deep internet lore um that i i am gonna right. guess most most people aren't familiar with so there's 4chan and 8chan the sites that i would say that most uh, i guess news conscious americans would know right mm -hmm. but there's all these other smaller chans like the one you just covered earlier today for Bellingcat, mm -hmm. you know, Dogola Chan yeah, in Brazilian, in Brazilian Portuguese. So there's all these other chants because uh, especially before they weren't that hard to set up, you know, there weren't really that many people trying to take them down. Um, so any, any sysadmin with a little bit of experience could set up one of these chants and that was how Wizard Chan started. I didn't start it, as has been reported by uh, a few. It started, I think, around 2012. And the guy who started it was um, basically kicked out 
for being um, the idea of Wizard Jan is that all the posters are going to be male virgins. So the original creator was kicked out uh, for having a homosexual relationship, I guess you could say. That came to light, so he had to retire. Um, I took it over, and then I eventually, you know, would have a relationship with a woman. So I had to give it up. The next person it went to, I think they... Um, I think they committed suicide, but nobody's really sure. And now I think it's on its fourth or fifth, or it could even be sixth owner. I haven't really been keeping track. And this is what we're talking about is very different, it seems, or at least in my understanding, from like the incel community, because it's not like this um, conspiratorial, like I haven't gotten laid because women are evil sort of thing. It's more like a kind of a support system. Like I, 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 I guess what it. you could. Yeah, what you yeah. could say is that these communities grew into the modern incel community, for okay. sure. Yeah. Uh, R9K, Wizard Chan, all of them grew into what we see today as, like, the modern incels, I suppose. I don't, you know, certainly there were a lot of toxic users when I was uh, Wizard Chan's admin for that short period. It I didn't even make it a year. Mm-hmm. Um Certainly there were a lot of toxic users. There were a lot of suicides, at least four oh in the God. time that I was admin. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And you could see the beginning of toxicity beginning to um, start because after there were so many suicides, I put up a suicide hotline from multiple countries and that started to become very controversial. And that was one reason that I was very disliked among the users because they said, you know, there's no way that normies can ever understand us. So us calling a suicide helpline is the worst advice you could give, basically. Jeez. That was their whole spiel. Yeah, it was a very dark time. Um, like I said, you know, I didn't create it and I only lasted in its administration for a year. Uh, the skills that I learned, you know, definitely informed 8chan. You know, the skills with uh, the image board software, the administration, what to do about, you know, certain types of attacks that were kind of in their infancy at that time. Um, yeah. This is getting us a little bit off topic, but I, I'm really fascinated by the general subject of kind of how the Internet went from where it was when uh, uh, I was younger, a teenager, and like where it was when you were a teenager, to like where what we're dealing with right now, um, and I it, like definitely you have some pieces of that puzzle. I think everybody who was extremely online in the late nineties, right. early two thousand has uh, just for the sake of number one, since you talked about like kind of your background here, I'll give up a little bit of my own. I grew up on um, something awful on those forums, which kind of gave birth to 4chan in a way, because Moot, the guy who founded 4chan, um, I think got pissed off at the moderation of uh, something awful for being too strict. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. The same story as me, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Christopher it, Poole thought that the something awful mods were too strict, so yeah. he starts 4chan. And I think Christopher Poole is too strict, <laughs> so I start 8chan. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of that actually later in this story, too. Um, it's very circular. Uh, but 
you know, one of the things that always struck me, I got banned from something awful when I was younger for, I don't know, I, I was probably 15 or 16, and I said something racist. I don't even remember what it was, but they would ban you for that, and it cost you $10 when you got banned. And it's one of those things, the something awful forums are still around today. There's still not a completely toxic pile of, like, uh, 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 radicalism. Um, it really, all you need is a little bit of... of like, I went back and forth on this myself as a young man, because I had this period where I was, like, kind of very absolutist on the free speech issue, and I'm, I'm still not super far from that. But I have come to the conclusion that if you want these communities to not be toxic, you have to draw some lines. Like, you really do. You have to say, okay, well, you can't be a Nazi. We're not going to have that here. <laughs> like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I, I definitely understand, and you can actually see a little bit of how... Um, something awful kind of informed 4chan. Because yeah. a lot of these rules against being racist are actually applied to 90% of 4chan's boards. The thing that Christopher Poole changed is that, okay, he made it so that he created a few boards, you know, B in particular, but then later also the N and then the Poole board where you could be a racist. So it's kind of like he opened the door to that. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting lessons for the future in there if people right. want to take them. But we should continue with the story. So around 2013 uh, is when you coded 8chan. You want to? Uh, 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 I mean, that that's a story that involves drugs for one thing, which I know my audience will like, and I always like to hear. So if if you don't mind, <laughs> you you can give the Cliff's notes of that one. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I was on a drug trip at the time. Um, it, for me, it's like I keep repeating one small part of that drug trip which you know it later turned out to define a big part of my life but you know when i think back to that drug part drug trip i should say it was just like one small moment in a bigger experience but anyway i was kind of still really high but like over the peak i guess you could say and i was on the computer and i was screwing around on 4chan which was normal for me Uh, in 2013, you know, I had kind of at that time forgiven Poole because he put R9K and uh, he added a new board, which was at the time called Poole. So even though I wasn't very happy that he didn't add the board back as news and that it was a pink board now and not a blue board, I know that that might be basically it was not safe for work versus safe for work. Right. That's the only difference. Right. So, but anyway, you know, I decided to just let bygones be bygones. And I was using 4chan a lot at the time. And I just decided, or I just started thinking about, you know, my experience as being Wizard Chan's admin in the past at that time. And all these other smaller image board communities. And I just thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if like Reddit, the users of these image boards could decide the boards and not the admin, right? Like, because I felt like the main problem at that time was the admin of 4chan was unaccountable and he could just add and remove boards and a board could be requested for years by many users and he won't add it just because he doesn't personally see the appeal or doesn't like it. So... That's kind of why I decided to start 8chan. I figured, you know, Reddit works, and it works for Reddit, so why couldn't it work for uh, 
8chan, I suppose. Right, so you know, it was essentially like this desire to like hybridize uh, Reddit and 8chan and make a place where the users would have even more control right. over the structure of the community and what was said there and what the right. rules were. And, and, yeah. and, and one really weird part of this story is that like there's, there's like the 2013, you mm-hmm. know, 8chan, which was very different than what we now, what we know in 2014, or especially, you know, before Gamergate, the 8chan. Yeah. Yeah. You're where getting 10 posts a day basically, or something. Yeah. Basically, nothing is really set in stone until Gamergate. You know, there's really no community. And a few months after I started 8chan and nobody was using it, I just figured, you know, this kind of failed, but it's still it's still a cool technical demo. So I'll leave it online. I'll put it on my resume or portfolio or whatever, and that'll be it. You know, I was kind of very surprised by uh, the 2014 Gamergate type thing. I didn't, I wasn't really expecting it. Yeah, and so Gamergate for our listeners that don't know was. Um... <laughs> Uh, it's uh, one side would say it was about ethics in video game journalism. The other side would say it was a harassment campaign against primarily female video game journalists. Um, it was this big social movement on the internet that was fairly reactionary and kind of fed into and was manipulated by guys like Steve Bannon, guys like Milo Yiannopoulos, and kind of metastasized into large chunks of what we started calling the alt-right in 2016. I think that that's kind of a succinct way of describing Gamergate. And, um, you know, Gamergate, it's one of its big organizing places initially was on 4chan, and when the harassment of some of these women journalists got too serious, they were kicked off of 4chan, and migrated to 8chan and that's really what grew it into like started the process of it attracting enough people to really grow into a large site right and that's exactly or almost exactly where jim watkins comes into the picture so because yeah 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 that is exactly where and this is where we should get into the actual written article that i have right so um and and i'm hmm? before you start it's like i'm not trying to minimize my own Involvement, you know, my deciding to allow 8chan to be a place where anybody could post anything that was legal was not smart. You know, mm-hmm. I was very young and naive, you could say that, but I, it, it wasn't smart. It was probably wrong. You know, it was wrong to start 8chan when I had basically no experience instead of looking to what had happened in the past, right? Um, but I really feel that the reason it's more about Jim Watkins is because he was an older man who had been doing this for many, many years. And he kind of just, for me, was somebody that represented, it's all okay because Jim says it's okay. Or it's all okay to do this because Jim is even taking legal liability. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so I, I want to. There's a couple things I want to get into so that will make a little more sense. Is that number one? Yeah. How how old are you when you start this site? Uh, nineteen. So you're you're you're. I mean, you're a kid. I think we can all agree. Nineteen year olds. They're legally adults, but you're a kid at nineteen. Um, it's a very that's a very young person. Uh, this site explodes in 2014. It gets expensive to run. It gets to be a gigantic time 
uh, sink to keep online. And Jim Watkins, right. uh, a millionaire with a business network overseas, and we'll get into Jim in a little bit here and, and, and explain where he comes from. But this millionaire business owner comes in and says, I'll buy the site and I'll keep it online and I will give you a job if you keep it running and are the face of this company. That's essentially the deal. Yes, essentially. And, you know, had he not showed up, it would have probably totally disintegrated in 2014. There is one other thing I want to ask, because you mentioned it, is sort of like this decision to allow anything as long as it's legal on 8chan. Um, Right. Was there a moment where you were first sort of confronted by, you know, the Nazi shit and, and had to kind of... Was that a debate you had with yourself, or was it kind of present enough from the beginning that when you decided to kind of let the community continue, you were deciding to accept that as part of it? You know, the weird thing is, 4chan itself kind of evolved, I guess you could say, on this. And I felt that because 4chan was a much more popular site, I really felt at the time that I couldn't disallow anything that 4chan allowed because I wouldn't be able to track users that way. I don't know if I was right about that, but that's how I felt. And 4chan at the time, like I said, they deleted the N board for news, and then they brought it back as politically incorrect. And I I believe that small cues like that to users really matter. Like they could have called it poll for politics. That would have been just as acceptable, right? But pool decided to call it politically incorrect so it seemed to me at the time like he wanted to attract all of the real far-right nazi people to that board yeah and the theory is that it would be like a containment board like he will contain them in this politics board this politically incorrect board so you know it it wasn't really a debate for me because I would just argue it to myself and others as well. How can you say that 8chan can't have a poll board when 4chan does, you know? Yeah. It's shitty and it's very much all about practicality, but that that would be how I would explain it to you at the time. Yeah, and it's, you know, I I understand there's probably going to be people listening to this um, who don't think that I'm grilling you enough on the moral questions on this. And I want to say here, that's partly because I've been watching what you've been doing over the last three or four months um, and how much effort you've put into keeping this site offline. And it's partly because when I was... 18, 19 years old, uh, I held a lot of political beliefs and beliefs about the nature of, you know, free speech and stuff like that, that I do not currently hold. And I said things that I regret now and that I wouldn't say now. And I think most people have something like that. We just didn't know how to code image boards and have an idea to make one. Um, right. So it's one of those things where I think it is important for you to like take stock of your, your part in all this and, and, and regret making the site um, but I also think it'd be unreasonable for someone to expect you to wear a hair shirt, especially since you were out of the picture by the time people started getting shot. Yeah, far out of the picture. Yeah, yeah. So um, we should we should we should get into Jim Watkins's story. Well, before we get into Jim's story, it's actually time for a really awkward ad pivot. Uh, now, Frederick, sometimes when I do one of these ad pivots, I will let my, my guest suggest a random product that they just think people should buy. Do you have any random products you would like people to buy or you'd like huh. to plug? Concepts work, you know, too. Uh, concepts or products? Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
I have really been enjoying recently Bluetooth speakers. They're so much more fun than um, those little headphone things that always fall out of your ears and hurt your ears, at mm-hmm. least for me. Maybe because my ear canals are not the right shape. So I have been putting them everywhere. Um, it's becoming a bit of a problem. Oh, I-, I have one in my... Yeah, I have a few in my... A few in my um, condo where I live, a few in my car. You know, uh, I, I've even been thinking of, like, putting them, like, in the bathroom and just playing constant, you know, I don't know, elevator music. I don't know. I'm, I, yeah, I, that's I, my product. I, I, I feel the same way. I love sitting outside, having a campfire with a Bluetooth speaker, listening to rap music. It's a, a great way to spend a Thursday night. Um, so buy Bluetooth speakers, fill your house with them (laughs) and fill your house with these other products that actually paid our show something. BP added more than $70 billion to the U S economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if people have learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. You think... What's the catch? But there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone and bring your own phone number along with your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com. Dot com slash behind. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's like very of all slow. The, of all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. We're back. All right, so uh, we've gotten through kind of the the, the background here, um, and uh, the situation that we've moved up to is like you've you've built this website. It's big, it's increasingly influential, and it's increasingly expensive and a gigantic pain in the ass to keep online. Correct. There's clearly a ticking clock on how long eight chan can last if you alone continue to run it, 
And into this situation steps a man named Jim. Now, James Arthur Watkins was born in Dayton, Washington on November 20th, 1964. He was raised on a family farm out in Mukitio, or, or Mukitio, Washington people are going to yell at me from getting this wrong, Mukitio, Washington. Uh, so out in the country, he's a, he's a farm boy. His mother worked for Boeing and his father worked for the local phone company. Now, growing up in the 60s and 70s, James didn't have a history with computers, uh, obviously, because it was the 60s and 70s, and very few people did. Um, And he joined the U.S. Army when he was 18 in 1982. He was eventually promoted to the rank of Sergeant First Class, and he spent most of his time in the service working as an attack helicopter mechanic and later as a military recruiter. So... He's he's got a pretty long career in the Army, actually. Um, (laughs) Amory would give James his first experience with computers. Late in his service in the 1990s, they sent Jim to a tech-focused school in Virginia where he got a crash course in the gadgets that would later dominate the world and his life. Now, I can't speak to Jim's overall technical competence, but it seems clear that he at least immediately understood how influential the Internet was quickly going to come to be. Um, right. and recognize that, yeah, that's what he wanted. That's the business he wanted to be in. I can speak to it. He's oh, not yeah. necessarily great with computers. He understands networking very well, though. And he understands, like, all of the domain registrar. He understands basically a lot of the stuff that keeps him from being deplatformed. Yeah. Like, he's really good with networking, but he's definitely not a programmer. No, and I, I think he's more a guy who... like gains kind of a basic technical understanding of of what the internet is at a a stage when the internet's still pretty young. And I think he realizes that it's going to be huge and that there's going to be a fuckload of money in in figuring (laughs) out how to use it right. Um, And he was one of the first people to really capitalize on a very specific part of the internet, pornography. Uh, In the mid-1990s, while he was still in the military, he launched a website called Asian Bikini Bar, which he would later describe as one of the largest video streaming adult websites in the world. So that's very classy. Um, (laughs) But legal, uh, I've never heard any allegations that it involved anything underage or anything like that. Um, Oh, no, but but one thing you should be aware of and that all your listeners should be aware of. (laughs) One thing that Jim was very clever about very early in his career is he realized that the internet, one of the main ways that you can make money with it is by taking advantage of different jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. So you can do something legal in one jurisdiction that's illegal in another and market it to the jurisdiction where it's illegal. Mm -hmm. So that's the main way that these businesses made money. Yeah. They were in Japanese and but hosted from the United States. So... Basically, they were porn websites in the United States that didn't have to follow Japan's censorship laws around pornography. Yeah, that was exactly what I was about to get into. Oh, Japan. sorry. No, 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 no. you're doing great. Um, Yeah, I I think it might surprise people because, like, Japan's reputation in America involves a lot of, like, lasciviousness, pornography, and whatnot. Because that's what gets across the internet to us. But especially back in the 90s, they had really strict laws. Um, So, yeah, exactly like you said, gym sites were hosted in the U.S., but they were in Japanese, and the goal was allowing Japanese people to access and share pornography without getting censored. So uh, there's actually a fun quote from Jim's current business partner, a guy named Tom Rydell. 
Am I pronouncing it right? Yes. Yeah. I've met this guy multiple times. Oh, yeah, times. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we'll be talking about him a, a number of times in the article. Um, but this is a quote from him uh, talking to Splinter News in 2016. They figured out a loophole in Japanese censorship rules. Adult material in Japan has to be censored, but Japanese people could access content that resides outside of Japan. Bingo. The work we did in the following years was really just marketing uncensored Japanese content to users in Japan. So I, I, this is a story that I think Jim and the people around him like to tell a lot. It's clearly something he's proud of, like figuring out this loophole and building a business around yes. it. Yes. Yeah. It, they really feel like this makes them sound very clever, and they love they love telling it to everybody who will listen, especially libertarian-minded people. Yeah. 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 There's nothing, speaking as a recovering libertarian, there's nothing libertarians like more uh, than a story of getting one over on a government. Um <laughs> I'm not all the way over that, but <laughs> I'm not sure it's yeah. entirely a bad thing. Um, but in this case, certainly not always. We'll call it a neutral thing. <laughs> uh, now, um, Watkins ran his first porn site, like I said, while he was still employed as an army recruiter, which makes him one of the least shady army recruiters in the history of the uh, the service. Um, he told the army that was a joke for my army friends there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he told the jo the army that he was starting an online business, although he didn't tell them that the business was a porn site. But this doesn't seem to have created any difficulties. The actual first thing that caused Jim a problem with his business was the website's name, Asian Bikini Babes. Because, you know, you had to pay to be a member of the site. And as Jim noted in 2015, that did not go over well with people's wives. So this was basically showing up on people's credit card statements as an Asian Bikini website. And people's spouses were like, what are you doing spending money on this shit? So Jim changed his company name to something that would look more innocuous on credit card statements. NT Technology. The acronym stands for nothing. It's just the blandest and safest name that Jim <laughs> could think of. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's good. It's a good name for a porn website to have. Nobody's going to think anything. Sure. Why not? Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, NT Technology initially made most of its money selling advertising on an expanding network of websites. Jim added more and more adult sites to the network, helping countless horny Japanese people access pornography that would have been illegal. Uh, at a certain point, NT Technology expanded into web hosting, too. In 1997, either one or two years before Jim left the army, depending on which interview you read, they're not all completely consistent, so I can't say for sure. It was either 98 or 99 that he quit, though. But in 1997, Jim Watkins met Tom Rydell. Uh, now, at the time, Rydell was an art student living in Pittsburgh. Here's how he recalled their meeting. One day in the summer of 1997, my roommates ran in and told me they met the king of porn in the park walking his poodle. Watkins apparently <laughs> hit it off with these teenage boys uh, and told them he was looking for artists to make banner ads for him. And I think Rydell's about 19 years old, too, when this happens. Um, wow, can you imagine that? Just Jim <laughs> Watkins going to an art school looking for, hello, fellow kids, would you like to make some banner ads for me? Yeah. <laughs> like, and what? I, I, You know, I, I actually, I think there might be some logic in the through line of him working with 18, 19-year-old kids who have a talent that he needs, but they're also young enough that they don't know what they're worth, for one thing. Like, they're not yes, going to be good at bargaining. Yes, and they can be easily manipulated. Exactly, exactly. He's a, a man who spent 16 years in the military at this point. He's certainly more capable of negotiating Right, that. and isn't isn't being an army recruiter all about manipulating Yes, lying to children. Boys? <laughs> yeah, really. Yes, so... <laughs> so I, I feel like there's a repeating pattern here yeah um he he definitely is one of the people who's been most successful at building a business from lying to teenagers um he's he's great at that 
so he he gives Rydell and his friends uh, some freelance work, and then Rydell says, quote, After that, I started working full-time, and the next summer, I drove with him and his family across country to Seattle, where we set up an office. So uh, Rydell and Jim, you know, expand NT technology and, and, you know, start hosting more sites and a wider variety of sites. Uh, and in 98 or 99, Jim quits the Army after about 16 years. He was at that point less than a presidential term away from a government pension. Um, but he quits before getting the pension because he decides it's a better call to dive headfirst into his internet businesses. Um, mm. And that would this would prove to have been a pretty wise call. I, I suspect he made more money in those years than he would have gotten from his pension. Um, Most likely. Yeah. Jim got in on the ground floor of the online porn business, uh, and he made a huge amount of money uh, doing that at a time when it was still very easy. There was this kind of sweet spot in between about 1996, 97, and like 2001 or 2 um, before like the dot-com bubble started to, to crack um, where you could really make... This is also the same time John McAfee made his fortune. Um, there's a number of kind of similar libertarian guys who seize this you know, six, seven-year window in the internet and make fucking bank, and Jim is one of them. Now, in 2000, Jim's hosting company picked up a very significant client, Two Channel. This site had been created in 1999 by Hiroyuki Nishimura. It was a text-only discussion board that wound up becoming a central part of early Japanese internet culture, and it's still very popular today. Yes. Yeah. Two Channel is mostly commonly abbreviated as 2CH, and it quickly grew to become one of the largest sites on the internet. By 2008, it was bringing in 500 million page views a month. Now, if we view gigantic, barely regulated web boards as a monarchial line, Two Channel was the progenitor of the dynasty. It inspired the creation of an image board, which is basically the same as a forum, but the discussion focuses around posted images, named in its honor, named Two Chan. I think people can probably figure out where we're going from here. Uh, In 2003, a (laughs) 15-year-old American named Christopher Poole got tired of the modding policies on something awful and creates 4chan, which is patterned off of 2chan. Um, So 2chan made, or 2channel, made great money. And by 2008, Nishimura was bringing in around a million dollars a year in profits. Uh, He told Wired at the time, the only person who gets money from 2channel is me. Well, I guess I pay for the servers. And of course, those servers were owned by Jim Watkins. Now, by the er- and Watkins charged a lot. You can see yeah. that in the um, in the court filings. Yeah, he made a very good amount of money off of Two Channel. Um, and by the early two thousands, he really needed Nishimura's money because the dot com bubble had truly popped. Uh, and internet mm. porn had gone from the Wild West to a very crowded market. NT technology was still profitable, but the money wasn't rolling in as heavily as it had years before. This seems to have impacted Jim's decision to move to the Philippines, which is a much cheaper place to live uh, and to operate a business. Um, his main impetus for this seems to have been the fact that he'd vacationed there before. So in that 2016 article by Splinter, Jim claimed he'd moved to the Philippines uh, in 2004, but a Washington Post article from 2019 disputes this timeline. Uh, they point to a printed notice in the Manila Times about Jim's pending naturalization as a Filipino citizen. Jim was required to pay for this as part of the naturalization process, and in the notice, Jim says he moved to the Philippines on October 2nd, 2001. He married a Filipino woman less than 20 days later. Now, their child was born a couple wow. of months after that. 
So it's not wow. as shady as it sounds. These are some facts I did not know. Well, wow. So it, it's interesting because like it, it, you, you hear, okay, he moves to the Philippines. He marries a woman 18 days later. That sounds like, okay, he just found someone to marry for the green card. But they had a kid like three months after that. So clearly the relationship oh, must okay. have existed before in then. the United States. Yeah, I don't know where it started. I don't know if he visited the Philippines before, but it, it clearly started before mm. he moved to the Philippines because gotcha. biology. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's all interesting. And it's, it's again... I'm, that's very interesting because, yeah. it, as we'll obviously get to later... I'm opposing his petition, so <laughs> you're telling me some things I didn't know, yeah. Well, and even this timeline is not 100% certain. In an interview, Watkins told the Washington Post that he first started migrating his life over to the Philippines in 2001, but he didn't really commit to moving there until 2004, and he didn't finish moving there until 2007. Yeah, like, there's some things in that petition that are not true, Yeah. So he he claims to be able to speak Filipino. He doesn't. He sure does. And that's one... <laughs> He he definitely does not speak Filipino at all. And you do. Oh, that's the you're, local language. You're a, yes, you're a language I do, guy. Actually. Yeah. I speak it much better than he does. I lived here a much shorter time. <laughs> so that's one of the things that we're going to be opposing in February. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, and it's interesting to me, too, that, that Tom Rydell, Jim's business partner, told the Washington Post that the court notice Jim had paid for was incorrect, but did not say why or give more detail. Um, that's all they know. So I, oh, he really told the post that it's incorrect. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I'm sure the judge will love that. <laughs> now, in any case, Jim moved from the U.S. to the Philippines in the early aughts and by all accounts lived there quite contentedly up to the present day. He started a pig farm, which does not appear to be profitable, but he also created a lot of other businesses. We don't know how many he owns or what they all do, but the post has a good breakdown of his the little empire he built. And I'm going to quote a couple of paragraphs from their write-up. Those include a smattering of Manila-based companies focused on computer services and real-world property over the years, including a now-closed organic food restaurant and, in 2005, a business called Race Queen, probably named for the scantily clad models who pose along the tracks of Japanese car races. Located in a dilapidated Manila office tower, Race Queen calls itself a software development and outsourcing company, according to a torn sign taped to the door. It has also been listed <laughs> as an employer on work visas for foreign employees of 8chan and Watkins' other message boards, including Brennan, Philippines Immigration Record Show. That would be you, obviously. That would be me, yeah. yes, and that's true. <laughs> yeah. And the reason that it's called Race Queen Inc. is also accurate. Yeah, okay, good. I, 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 I'm I, always a fan of, um, you know, you get a very professional publication by The Post where they really do a pretty good job in their normal articles of boiling out personal bias and opinion. And right. a, a, how much you can say and how much shade you can throw just by adding the word torn to a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. They can't yeah. just say due to a sign. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. no, no, no. And the dilapidated office building. Yeah. Definitely, definitely they do throw shade. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I hear you. Yeah, it would be hard not to be. So, uh, the naturalization court notice said Watkins and his wife had bought several properties across the country, including a condo in central Manila and farms outside the city, where he said he raised pigs. Philippine business records revealed glimpses of a peculiar assortment of businesses in Watkins's orbit. The company Emerald Pedestal, which is misspelled, which lists ownership in Manila condo units and calls Watkins chairman of the board. He did that on purpose, by the way, to try to avoid certain um, suits. That's what he told me, at least. Yeah, like I know a lot of the shell companies. He told me that Emerald Pedestal is named wrong on purpose. I don't remember exactly why, but I think he thought that it would make it harder to sue him. 
Yeah, John McAfee and this guy would really get along with each other. Um, <laughs> I, I suspect they would be good friends. So yeah, uh, for most of the mid-aughts, uh, Jim's businesses hummed along without having any discernible impact on the broader culture. He made money for himself and his family, and he didn't get into the spotlight in any way that I've ever found evidence of. Uh, things started to change in 2013, because that's the year that you created 8chan, and it's also the year that 2channel had a massive data breach that exposed 30,000 people's credit card data. Now, this on its own is bad, but since much of 2channel's claim to fame was its anonymity, it was seen as a particularly huge fuck-up. The data breach interfered with the site's ability to make money. Now, Tom Rydell claims that this is why, in 2014, NT Technology took possession of 2Channel. The website remains huge and a significant source of profit to this day. Now, 2Channel's creator, Nishimura, disputes the legitimacy of NT Technology taking possession of his website. He says they basically mm-hmm. stole it, and I think the court case is ongoing. Um, yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, in an email interview with Splinter News, Nishimura claimed of Watkins, all his businesses have failed, even his hosting service was not good. <laughs> yeah, I have made similar claims. You know, it's, it's a big, it's a big, it's a big problem when everything that you're well known for, you're alleged to have stolen or acquired via shady means. I mean, people do get elected to high office with that kind of a resume too. So it kind of depends That's on how good true. you are That's at spinning true. it. <laughs> <laughs> In 2015, Christopher Poole sold 4chan to Nishimura. Um, so I, I just think that's really interesting that like Nishimura creates the site that inspires the site that 4chan is based off of. And then Nishimura winds up buying 4chan like 15 years later. It's just a, right. a, a fun series of events. Now, the year before that purchase, uh, Jim Watkins bought 8chan from Frederick Brennan, making him, I guess, the lord of 50% of the chans, something like that. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, so he has two channel and he has eight chan at this point. Um, so Frederick, would you walk us through a little bit, sort of how he reached out to you and kind of what you, you know, what the deal was and what you had to do in order to take this? Because it's why you're right. in the Philippines now. So eight chan, it 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 had basically no uh, way to make money. You know, deplatforming was being used against it all the way back in 2014. Uh, not even as like hardcore as what's going on right now but we got kicked off of all the payment processors very quickly i was able to find servers who would host us but i could not afford that you know what i mean without any money coming in and there was no one who would want to advertise on 8chan even even before it was known for what it's known for now you know people just don't like to have their ads on sites that host Nazis. I know, big shock, right? Yeah. But, and, you know, it's even hard to find people who want to put their ads, like real big corporations, on porn sites. So, porn and Nazis, you basically can't find anybody. So, I, you know, knew that 8chan's days were numbered. And I made this pretty clear, I suppose, on the official 8chan Twitter, and through other means, you know, posting on the board. And I started to get uh, offers, basically, from people who wanted to acquire 8chan because it had been in the news and it had already this big community, you know, as far as chans go. And there was, at the time, a real sense that it could take over for 4chan, like that it could unseat 4chan as the main chan. 
that didn't end up happening, but that's what some people thought, including maybe myself in my more uh, confident moments. Mm -hmm. But I started looking at these offers and I really could only narrow it down to two. And one of them was from a company that had no experience in this at all. And I really felt like with enough pressure, if I transferred the servers there, they would crack and then that would be it. You know what I mean? So I decided to take GM's offer. He very much used the fact that he owned two channel as a way to convince me, you know, like that he is the originator of all the chans and he can help. And I didn't really totally understand that when I agreed the extent to which Hiroyuki hated him and the extent to which he most likely like stole two channel. Mm -hmm. And the agreement is basically he'll move you to the Philippines. He'll um, pay you a salary and, uh, and fund everything. Right. Basically that's correct. He did not buy HN like itself. Yeah. What he did was I transferred this data to his servers and then he moved me to the Philippines and paid me to be its admin, basically. So he took all of the liability by transferring the data to his data center. And eventually in 2015, January, only a few months later, he took over in um, at the end of September, I believe. And then in January of the following year, he took the domain also. Like there was a problem with the domain registrar like what they're experiencing right now with two cows, where two cows doesn't want to register the, their domain because it is very bad press. So Jim had his own domain registrar, or at least that's how he explained it to me. He's actually just a two cows reseller. He doesn't own his own uh, like registry with the, with the uh, ICANN. But anyway, that, that doesn't really matter. So at the time, that was seen as very bulletproof. So 8chan, you know, he basically said, look, use my domain temporarily, wink, wink, and then we'll transfer it back to your domain after, um, after you know, you get your domain back. Well, I got my domain back, 8chan.co, but we just kept it on 8ch.net because basically he had no incentive to transfer it back. So it's kind of a shady way that he got ownership if you really think about it um yeah and it w- he there there there's no contract or anything it's just domain yeah he doesn't like contracts and he he locks No he you, doesn't it, it it strikes me the situation you know i i hope we're not getting too personal here but you have some pretty significant healthcare needs um and yes. part of this deal is he's putting you up in a condo that he owns and he's paying and also paying for a nurse yeah and paying for a nurse and there's no contract, which means he could take all of this away from you and leave you homeless. Whenever he wants. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's a very unsettling position to be. I can see how you would take it and how it would sound incredibly enticing. It's like, I get to move to just like this wonderful foreign country and like live right. in, a, in a condo and like get paid to do this yeah, thing was I was it, doing for free. It like, was enticing in October, November, and December. Yeah. And then, you know, when it came time to deal with this domain problem, I had no leverage I could use yeah. to keep the domain, so because he can, he got total ownership. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an a, a, an unsettling and like a really easily abusable position um, from his point. Yeah, of view. and I mean there were lots of other easily abused things about my uh, 
healthcare condition. Yeah. Like, he, you know, there's a Q grifter named Neon Revolt. Mm. And I guess he somehow got these photos of me in a, uh, in a bar with Jim Watkins and other associates, but they're not in the picture. And, you know, you can cut this if you want, but on that night, it, I was not really in control of what was happening. They put me in a wheelchair that I can't even push because it was, first of all, too big for me. Second of all, I don't have the strength to really push a wheelchair anyway. I have to use an electric one. And the place that they brought me to had so many like bumps in the road. Now, maybe a 20-year-old would enjoy going to a bar, you know, for a few hours, but they kept me there for like five, six hours and took lots of photos that I might have preferred not be taken. And, it, you know, you can cut this, of course, but there was even a part of that, which, you know, Neon Revolt basically published, you know, without my side, that uh, I could could not even go to the bathroom because they wouldn't take me. Like, it, it, it quickly became distressing. Yeah, and that's, I, just so people have some context, the, the QAnon movement moved cult whatever you want to call it moved to 8chan um sorry i'm really i'm really doing it no, out no, of no. order yeah 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 well we we can i mean th- this all happens in like 2017 QAnon moves yeah. to 8chan and is hosted there um and you were you know not running the site at that point but since in more Correct. recent months since you've become one of the major stumbling blocks to 8chan getting back online QAnon people, including this guy, Neon Revolt, have targeted you very heavily. And he's essentially yeah. doing, it's the same thing as when when there's a case where like a, a prominent person uh, sexually assaults a young woman and there's a picture of her like laughing next to him um, at like a bar or something, that will wind up getting plastered. Like, look, that she's smiling. She, yes, she that's clearly, exactly yeah, what they're that's doing exactly to me exactly what right they're now. doing, yeah. You know, they're saying, oh, he's smiling, but they're not thinking that obviously I was basically being taken captive by three very drunk men. And if I upset them, who knows what they might do to me. So if they ask me to smile for a picture, I'll smile. You know what I mean? But that that shouldn't be seen as like evidence of happiness or evidence of wanting to be there. Obviously, you know, uh, these days, due to the, how that experience kind of scarred me, I don't go anywhere without like, an electric chair and a phone with a sim that, you know, like I've taken precautions just due to how difficult that was. You know, I don't go anywhere here without, um, like somebody who is on my payroll who can, uh, like be my advocate basically. Now, Frederick, this is maybe in the history of the show, the worst time to do an ad pivot, um, that, that, oh, that there's okay. ever been. But it's that time. I'm so sorry. Yes, that's no problem at all. <laughs> no problem, no problem. Um, and I'm sorry if I brought up stuff that's like, no, no, no. you know, not. You, 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 that, that I, I'm yeah, grateful to you for sharing. Like, this is important context to the kind of guy he is. Um Right, that's what this is supposed to be about. Right? Yeah, is like, is the kind of guy he is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what's not important? Context. Uh, these ads. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. All right, we're back. Um, now, uh, Frederick, uh, let's we, we we jumped ahead a little bit. I wanna I wanna go back to uh, 2016. Um, now, th- okay. that's the year that the Splinter News article we've quoted uh, from a few times uh, with Jim was published. That's the first article that interviews him that I found, and the reason this article was written was because 2016 was kind of the height of what I would call 8chan's success at culture jamming. The community there first exploded as a result of Gamergate. Um, And as I I talked about a little bit earlier, the movement with Gamergate kind of metastasized into big chunks of the online alt-right. And in the 2016 election, they graduated from like focusing their activism on a pretty niche area of interest gaming uh, to trying to impact the broader American political and cultural scene. And by this point, especially on 8chan, especially 8chan's poll board, there was a, a very distinct like heavy Nazi influence. Like so it wasn't, you know, Gamergate. There was some very far right and uncomfortable and even some like kind of Nazi-ish anti-Semitic stuff that you would see run in there. Um, but 2016, A-Chan's poll board is like a fully Nazi gathering place online. And they start trying to meme Donald Trump into office, but also more to the point, trying to meme, um, trying to push 
some of their fringe beliefs kind of closer to the American mainstream by creating memes and then seeding them into the rest of the internet to try to make them go viral. And their great success mm. during this period, their biggest success, was getting candidate Donald Trump to retweet an image macro they made of Hillary Clinton with the star of David next to her head that includes the words, most corrupt candidate ever. Um, that's like the, 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 probably the biggest hit that they had during that year. Right. Um, but there were a lot of other memes that they succeeded in like getting, uh, other prominent political and cultural figures to retweet. Um, and this, you know, drew attention down on 8chan and a number of journalists, including myself, um, wrote their first articles about the site in that period of time. Um, and we all got harassed for doing it. I think the board's most responsible were Pole and, uh, Baphomet. Um, which was a board kind of dedicated directly to like doxing people. So this is what sort of first draws mainstream-ish media attention. You know, it's not the Washington Post yet, but Splinter is covering it and stuff. Um, and they talked to John Watkins, uh, Jim Watkins, Jesus. Now, uh, all this drew a lot of press attention, uh, as I said, and the author of that Splinter News article, Ethan Cheel, uh, had was pretty heavily harassed when he first started writing about the site. So when he talked to Jim Watkins, and this is, the again, the earliest interview with Jim, he asked Jim about all the death threats and whatnot that originated on 8chan, and Watkins responded, as long as they're not making imminent threats of harm against someone, their speech is protected political speech, no different than Trump or Clinton or Mr. Smith or anyone else. Now, Jim also addressed allegations that because of the racism on his site, he might be racist himself. He said, I obviously am not a white supremacist. I go for days without seeing another white face. I put up with racial problems similar to that of colored people in the 1960s, the black people of the <laughs> 1970s, the African-Americans of the 1980s, the people of color of the 1990s. I am not sure what the politically correct term in the 21st century is. I have lived here in the same place longer God. than anywhere else in my adult life. I love my home. As He I'm always sh- used to talk like this. <laughs> yeah, he compares himself to the civil rights movement. Yes, you know, he would talk like this also in private. He yeah. would tell me that it is that white people in the Philippines have no rights and it's worse to be a white person in the Philippines than to be black in the U.S. Like he would say that constantly. So the fact that he said this to the press is just, you know, uh, he, he I guess he just has no filter. Yeah, that's... that's why he doesn't like to talk to the press anymore. It's astonishing. It's it's really astonishing. Um, and this this won't be the last <laughs> time he does something like this. But it's yeah, it, it, quite a take. <laughs> like now, uh, Watkins describes himself as overall a very boring person. Uh, he claimed that he had bought Eight Chan because he wanted to protect it. He said he'd seen all these other sites that have big potential and then they go away. Now, when Ethan from Splinter asked him about the issues he'd had since buying the website in 2014, like what his biggest issue was, his answer was very clear. Social justice warriors. Quote, Mm. they call them SJWs. They troll me by email. They try to embarrass you into turning off the channel. It's like, oh, there's a horrible post here. Well, great. Report the post and we'll delete it. Then they send it to ICANN and the FBI and all these people. And it's like, come on. So, Jim Watkins, 2016. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Now, he claimed that people complaining about death threats and violent racism on 8chan were creating those posts themselves on the forum. Yep. People like Ron always say that. Yeah. It's always about them. It's always a conspiracy theory. When I got my death threats that were posted on 8chan after my second article on them. Well, no, it was after my first article, but after it was in a documentary on them. um, When I got those death threats, everyone on 8chan, when they saw me commenting on them, 
commented right. that I must have created the death threats and posted them on there. It's just, you know, it's a convenient thing to do. They especially always say that about women. Oh, yeah. Oh, she just is looking for attention. They, it, it, It's a common line that they take. And the fact that Jim Watkins, the admin, is taking it, you know, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it might help set the tone a little bit, though. Although, you know, who, right. yeah, hard to say who's learning from who there. Uh, they're learning from each other. Yeah. That's the... Yeah, that's probably yeah self-reinforcing cycle. Yeah. Now, uh, when that article was published, uh, you and Jim were still working together. Um, and in fact, up until that point, when people had questions about 8chan, you'd generally been like the media point man to answering that. Um, and I, I'm kind of curious as to when sort of those defenses, you started to believe in them less, if that makes sense as a question. Sure. So... Right. You're absolutely right. After 2016, I was still in Jim's company. I was working at Two Channel, which is how I know now what an important part of it it is for his business money-wise. Like, it's where all his money comes from, even today. So that's kind of how I know that, because he put me, basically when I wanted to quit from 8chan, he put me on Two Channel. But yes, I was still one of the only ones that would talk to media because I just felt like I didn't have anything really to hide at the time you know uh, I would usually ask them while I was still at the company like should I answer this request what should I say and you know they would kind of help like sculpt you know my answers but I, I did really start to believe a lot of the I guess you can say rationalizations less you know one of the rationalizations I had was that it's all just the American Constitution and the Founding Fathers knew that we all have to discuss things and the best ideas will fall out and the answer to wrong speech is more speech and, you know, that kind of rationalization view of looking at the world. Well, it it became hard for me to say that to reporters because I knew as 8chan's admin that I had never seen a single good idea fall out of 8chan's discourse like that just doesn't happen everybody's talking everybody's making their own you know political statement but there's no resolution nobody's ever you know the nazis never said oh you know what we're convinced socialism is the answer we're closing our board that doesn't happen you know because <laughs> yeah so that was the first time i really started to doubt but you know, as long as nobody was really getting hurt, you know, it was kind of hard for me to just go back on everything I'd ever said, right? But, of course, after I saw how little they did after Christchurch, and then after Poway, you know, it just started to build on me that I had to say something as somebody who is basically an authority on 8chan and, you know, yeah, I just couldn't allow Jim Watkins to get away with it. Like, to get away with doing nothing while terrorists use his website. So, especially, you know, after he did nothing, after the first two attacks, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, um, when uh, the, the years from about 2016 to 2019 uh, is kind of when 8chan 
really reached um, a significant size, around 1.7 million visitors a month. I, I'm guessing that would be its height, but uh, you would know better than I would. Right, that would certainly be its height. Yeah, and the site was hard to monetize. Jim tried a number of tactics. Uh, he had a son craft a cryptocurrency, which users could buy and then pay to elevate their threads on the site. <laughs> um, in traditionally vaguely anti-Semitic fashion, he called it the King of the Shekel Program. Which, if you don't know why using the word shekel is vaguely anti-Semitic, hang out with some Nazis on in- the internet for a day. You'll hear the word a thousand times. Mm. Along with kvetching. Yeah, oh boy, yeah. Um, now, Jim also launched Books.Audio, a book narration company that used Jim and a number of his friends and family members as narrators. In 2017, he launched the Go... He tried to get me to narrate. (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't had the heart to listen to any of the books he narrates, because he does a number of them. I can't imagine he's good at it, just listening to his voice. Um, he is not. Yeah, it seems like an odd business for him to be in. In 2017, he launched The Goldwater, uh, a bad news website with the slogan, Banned, Biased, and Honest. Uh, Jim Watkins showed up in some of the videos under the pseudonym Jim Cherney. Uh, And here's the welcome message he posted when he launched the site. Welcome to The Goldwater, where we provide an informative view on today's alternative news headlines. If you like a video, share it with your friends. Stay up to date by subscribing to our channel and visit thegoldwater.com for in-depth articles. His voice is very, um, uh, it's an interesting tactic. Like, he's introducing this news site of his kind of like you would a classic sort of media company. Like, he's not trying to be, like, hip or or, or use internet lingo or, like like, aim it at the kind of people who use 8chan, but he's clearly, he wants the Goldwater to be like a news site that they use. And it's just, it's odd to me that he would think that like... Yeah, and let's mention the Goldwater was full of fake news. Yeah, yeah. Including an article that said the planet Nibiru would destroy the Earth in 2017. No, did it it not? No, as far as I know, you know... I'm still on the planet Earth, and I didn't hear about the planet Nibiru destroying it well, two years ago. We're going to have our fact checkers look into that um, before right. we, before we go to press. Please get the New York Times <laughs> fact check on this. I really need. Now, um, yeah. So Jim wanted it to be like the news gathering place for eight chan users, which is part of why I think his presentation is so odd. Um, now, <laughs> the um, the website's chief journalistic coup was getting two of its reporters press credentials for the 2018 Singapore summit between President Trump and Kim Jong Un, which is evidence of how easy it is to get press credentials. Sometimes um, they spent most of the trip failing to get their camera to function properly. Because they're not, not 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 good at it. Now, um, yes, and they also wasted a lot of money doing a bungee jump. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, oh my God! What? Yes, uh, <laughs> one of the main things they did on. Yeah, you can see Tom Rydell doing a bungee jump. I don't know if he deleted it, but they do a bungee jump off a building in the city. Just as part of their coverage, or just for shits? Um, it, they posted it right around that time, and it was on the trip, but. That was the only really actually cool thing that came out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, throughout this period, 2017, 18, uh, Jim posted regular videos on his 8chan blog where he would do yoga. He's way into yoga, uh, read selections from books, and brag about his collection of expensive pens. He also really likes expensive pens. 
Now, for the next couple of years, 8chan continued to radicalize itself, and Pol went from mostly ironic Nazi posting and far-right shitposting to unironic neo-Nazi exterminationist rhetoric. I can't pick a point for you when that hit critical mass, but we all know what happened in March 2019, the Christchurch massacre. Now, by this point, you'd been away from 8chan for a couple of years, and you'd been out of NT technology for, what, a year or so? Um, a few months. Okay, a few months. So you, you'd recently quit. Yes. The Christchurch shooting happened in March 2019, and I had only, like, totally disassociated in, I think, November 2018. Okay. So, yeah, you, you've been out for three or four months, and the Christchurch yeah. shooting happens. Do you remember when you heard about it for the first time? Huh. Um, I'm pretty sure that, yeah, I, I'm, I don't really remember. I, I kind of remember, like, I read something about it on my phone, and then my wife told me that on Messenger, somebody had sent her the video. It was really going around. Um... But I, the 8chan connection didn't really become clear to me until I started reading, like, more articles yeah. about it. Okay. I, I, I wound up kind of getting onto the, I mean, obviously, I wrote an article about it a couple hours after it happened. So I was, I was pretty aware of that um, kind of right away. And uh, it was one of those things watching the the rest of the world react to it there were a number of reactions I, i'm glad that i think most of the media i think hopefully in part due to the article i wrote avoided kind of falling into some of the traps that the guy had put in his manifesto mm. and avoided some of the more kind of sensational shit that that might have otherwise surrounded it there were some bad reactions obviously like the uh the daily mail posted the entire uh, unedited manifesto on their yeah. website. That was a poor choice. <laughs> but in terms of tone-deaf responses to a massacre, I think the video Jim Watkins published three days after the shooting has to take the cake. Have you seen this, Frederick? Uh, I have, yeah. yes. I actually recently republished it. He deleted it, didn't he? Um, yeah, it's on YouTube still. So we've both seen this, Frederick. I'm going to play the first minute of it for our listeners so they can get an idea of the kind of tactics... Jim Watkins is taking. Condolences to the victims of the New Zealand shootings. So many pious folks lost because of psychotic rage. It is a sad thing that the mentally infirm can have access to guns. It is just impossible to tell who will snap until they do. Going postal is such a sad thing. In America, back in 1993, Mark Richard Hilburn went postal. This otherwise normal man became so angry that he shot two of his fellow post office employees, his mother, and even his dog. After that, the post office took action and put environmental analysts on the scene to help make the workplace a better place, so that folks would not become so frustrated with rage that they would commit acts of mayhem and murder. At no time after this terrible tragedy, did the United States Postal Service consider censoring the mail in order to stop announcements of terrorist or violent threats? People have been free to say such things always. However, threats of imminent violence are not protected speech. They are criminal in nature. There is a certain dualism to this, whereas 
you're free to utter reprehensible and violent speech. Yet you are responsible for the consequences of what you say. And now we're back. Okay, so um, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, the 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 gall of blaming illegal aliens for the Christchurch yeah. shooting because of illegally immigrated Australian and New Zealand is pretty fucking remarkable. <laughs> Absolutely, it's ridiculous. You know, yeah. there is no way to be more pro-Trump than that statement. Yeah, like it's so pro-Trump that maybe even Donald Trump would be afraid to say it yeah that's going it, like even his response to the shooting was better than jim's <laughs> yes yes <laughs> now uh, watkins was pretty consistent with most of his press responses in the wake of the massacre he, he talked about how he deplored violence he insisted Chan removed all illegal content and he made commitments vague commitments about getting better at policing the site for literal crimes but while he said all this he also adopted the slogan embrace infamy and emblazoned it on the landing page of 8chan. Um, so he, it, it's it's clear he, um, there seems to be an aspect of this that he might have enjoyed. Um, now, when the Washington... He certainly did. Yeah. You have some insight into that? I, just knowing him and knowing, you know, that one of the main reasons he continued to operate 8chan is attention. Because as we've discussed, there's no money reason. It doesn't make any significant money. You know, the only other reason would be that, like, I guess QAnon is really true and there really is a military, you know, uh, operative posting on 8chan. So that's why Jim's doing it. He's a patriot. But in all seriousness, there's no reason to run 8chan. Um, Like, monetary patriotic whatever it's just it's just a drain on every one who has ever come into contact with it even its users it's a drain on them certainly it's a drain on me uh, it's definitely drained jim's resources but he seems to like the attention he gets from it more than like he's paying for more it. than should be expected yeah He's paying for the attention, basically. Exactly, exactly. Like it is costing him money to operate this site, and right because if you think about it, it costed a hundred thousand pesos, which is like two grand, three grand, to publish that naturalization petition, and that's all out the window now. You know, it's like, and that's not the only way that money has been wasted. Think of all the he claimed on the Goldwater that he spent fifty six thousand dollars from the time of the shooting to the time of, um, to September 2019, just trying to get 8chan back online. Jeez. Yeah, so this is, it's, he's clearly getting something out of it that's worth at least $56,000 to him. (laughs) And, um, yeah, there's a quote he gave about that. The Washington Post, when they got to interview him, asked him about Embrace Infamy, putting that on 8chan. Um, And this is what he said in response. The newspapers say we're infamous, so we have embraced infamy. It's cute and it's appropriate. Weird to talk about yes, your Jim, site. Definitely cute. <laughs> yeah, to, weird to talk about your site being cute when people are asking you about all the massacres. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, like, is it really cute for the victims of the shootings to see that Jim is embracing the infamy that the deaths of their loved ones brought him? Like, yeah. I don't think that's cute. 
You know, I, I think, uh, I assume, you know, I'm not an old man yet, but I, I am I am starting to experience what it's like when you watch popular culture and stuff pass you by and you don't understand things anymore and you feel less relevant. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure that's even more of an issue when you're 50, 60 years old. I think most right. people combat that in healthier ways than <laughs> paying to operate 8chan. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, that might be yeah. yeah a bad late life crisis there. Um, yeah, certainly, and um, it's definitely not cute at all. No, no, I wouldn't say so. So, unfortunately for a whole lot of people, the massacres continued. Uh, the Poway Synagogue shooting happened two months after Christchurch. The El Paso shooting occurred shortly after that. And by the late summer 2019, more than 70 people were dead as a result of shootings that started out as 8chan posts. Uh, the site was finally dropped by most of its supporting companies like Cloudflare, who provided DDoS protection, uh, in the wake of the El Paso shooting. And Jim was called before Congress to speak about his wayward, I don't know, stepson. Um, he did, <laughs> yeah, more or less. He did most of his interviews with mainstream news sources during this period. Uh, and he tried to toe the line that he was just standing up for free speech and that allowing hate speech was part of that. But as the Post reported, 8chan did a lot more than just passively allow hate speech. Quote, while Watkins has contended there was little he could do to rein in the anonymous user base, 8chan often has appeared to encourage this hateful chatter on its site. Its official rules, for instance, included special formatting codes. Three parentheses were used in anti-Semitic messages to point to someone's presumed Jewish background, to call them, in parentheses, out, as the rules stated, while a single less-than symbol was used to turn text pink, highlighting what the message board called faggot posting. Um, and on a related note, here's something Jim said in his prepared statement to Congress. By the way, his son, Ronald, added both of those. Those were not part of HN originally. So, yeah, yeah. yeah the, just to be clear. Those were Ronald's additions. Um, yes. And keeping the existence of faggot posting in mind, I want to read something Jim said in his prepared statement to Congress. Our company has built and maintained a digital forum that is the place where opposing viewpoints and those of minorities, such as the LGBTQ, may express themselves <laughs> free from the fear of their life. Oh, man. Uh, he really knows how to lay it on thick, doesn't he? He sure does. He's, he's, he sure does. Now, his interview with The Post came after his four-hour testimony in front of Congress. He told them that the ultimate fate of 8chan was the biggest test for freedom of speech since maybe 1969. And I'd really recommend reading that Post interview in full if you're interested in this, because it's got a lot of great moments, particularly this paragraph. He appeared to grow upset minutes into the call, responding to one question by saying, fuck off, which he later claimed he had intended for his Uber driver. After being asked whether an 8chan advertising program this year called King of the Shekel was anti-Semitic, Watkins hung up. Through his longtime business partner, Tom Rydell, Watkins declined to answer later calls. So that's that's how the interview ended. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he then mailed a postcard to Drew Harwell, who wrote the article, that said fuck off on it. <laughs> That is such a boomer, like, yeah. shit post. A <laughs> fucking postcard. <laughs> yes, on a literal postcard. Yeah, okay, Jim. Now, in the immediate wake of 8 Chin's deplatforming, which happened after the El Paso shooting, uh, he posted a video wherein he promised, sorry for the inconvenience, common sense will prevail. Jim started to make bold and bizarre claims next, like that his son, Ron Watkins, was building a protective network to defend 8chan from cyber attacks and replace Cloudflare. <laughs> this network, he said, would be composed of vigilante hackers. As of press time, it does not seem to exist. 
Uh, yeah. yeah. He, that is his weirdest grift that he's doing right now, is trying to convince them that he's somehow building a Cloudflare on like a shoestring budget. Cloudflare's network is worth like millions of dollars, literally. Like the infrastructure that is Cloudflare is millions and millions of dollars. You cannot just replace that with vigilante hackers and some, you know, smart software. Yeah, some kids' laptops. Like part of like, there's a reason Cloudflare is basically irreplaceable for 8chan, and it's because it costs yeah millions of dollars to build something that can protect websites that effectively. Mm. Yeah, it takes more equipment than a bunch of dudes' laptops. Exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, Watkins hired Benjamin Barr to prepare him for his talk to Congress. Barr was formerly the lead architect of undercover operations at Project Veritas, James O'Keefe's operation. I just always like it when different subjects of different episodes of Behind the Bastards intermingle. It's always exciting. uh, Yeah. (laughs) You didn't know that? Yeah. Great guy. Uh, Sorry. You're teaching me some things, and he, he, he just keeps getting more and more gross. Yeah. Now, Jim's most ambitious plan in the wake of HN's deplatforming was to launch a communications satellite into space, which he believed would be able to beam <laughs> 8chan around the planet. Now, this seems to have been Ron Watkins, his son's idea. And Ron said, uh, quote, not an expert on space law, but seems like such a setup would have absolutely no jurisdiction and be uncensorable. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when that was going around and... I thought he might have even just been saying it to troll the media. Yeah. But his father might have believed it. Yeah, it's kind of impossible to say. Yeah, because there was a recent live stream where Jim kind of has a little moment where he starts to say, you know, unless Ron's been lying to me. (laughs) And it seems like he's worried about Ron lying to him, like, quite a lot. So I'm sure this space plan was part of that. Now, as of right now, 8chan is offline. The Earlier this year, really just like a couple of weeks ago, they started trying to rebrand as 8kun and relaunch, mm-hmm. and they were able to get up for a hot minute, like a day or so spread out between a couple of days of going back up and down. It's currently unavailable um and right. has, has is at this point still deplatformed. No way to know if that's going to continue to be uh the case but right now it's i hope it is (laughs) yeah i hope it is too um i'm sure jim will try if he can afford to and find a way to bring it back up but the latest news that just came out a day or two before this episode was recorded is that uh you and jim are gonna have you a little bit of a legal throwdown Yes, it does seem like it. Yeah, so he's he's not suing you. What is the... Because it's, it's happening in, in the Philippines, and it's this... Right. Yeah, I'm not sure... So yeah. the legal system here is different than in the United States, yeah. obviously. So I was actually confused when I got the subpoena also, because usually in the United States, you don't get served unless you're sued. You know what I mean? So, and it was marked a subpoena. So I wasn't, like, even sure what I was looking at. A lot of, you know, a lot of the Q grifters were like, oh, this is so great. He's getting sued criminally. Uh, you know, even Ron Watkins posted, like, retweeted a few guys that were talking about how I was, uh, that were basically tweeting about how, like, the state had convicted me in the Philippines or had indicted me. Well, it turns out that all that happened was that Jim Watkins wrote a letter 
to the, um, basically he wrote a complaint to the city prosecutor and it's just a request from the city prosecutor to prosecute me. It's something anyone can do, basically. Like, I could write a letter requesting the prosecutor indict Jim on, on, on a crime. So, obviously I'm taking it seriously, but it's not, it's not as if the Filipino authorities have decided to, like, throw me in prison. That's not yeah. what happened here. Yeah. Jim Watkins' role... And the crazy thing about this is, it is a libel allegation. The king of anonymous libel is threatening me with a libel lawsuit. And not only that, he's using a criminal libel statute to try to intimidate me, basically. And he's threatening me with 12 years in jail, as is his son, you know, for cybercrime criminal libel. That's what is in the complaint. Obviously, I've lawyered up. Um, we are going to write, you know, a response to the prosecutor. Uh, hopefully, it won't even get past, you know. Like, hopefully, the prosecutor will just look at our response, look at Jim's, like, very feeble complaint. Like, half of the complaint is just, Jim is upset that I said he might be going senile. And he disputes that he's going senile. So, uh, yeah. But because it's, like, not even a criminal case yet, I can't depose anyone, you know, like, if it would be an actual case. All it is is the city prosecutor is going to decide whether or not to indict me. And, you know, my attorney says we have a very good chance of it not getting that far. Like, the city prosecutor most likely will throw it out. Well, and that's where we are right now. And that's all I know about Jim Watkins. Um... Now, Frederick, is there anything else you wanna you wanna say about the man, or or, or, or uh, talk about him? Any other particular anecdotes you think are useful for for people <laughs> understanding the guy? I know, I know, obviously, you knew him for years, so yeah, yeah. What what I would say about what I would say to that uh, in terms of just particular anecdotes is Jim. If he's claiming he's not a racist, I would. I would very much wonder about that because I have two anecdotes, but I'll just give you one. One time here in the Philippines, Jim Watkins had opened up a new business and opened up a new office for it. And he was planning on transferring most of his local software developers. He has a little team of uh, Filipino developers to that office. So he was building up this office. He installed like four air conditioners. And he was just in the office seeing how the work was going. You know, it was freshly painted. The chandeliers were installed. Yes, he did install chandeliers. Um, and he noticed that he only had three air conditioner remotes, but he was expecting four. So he went around the room and he's getting himself more and more agitated. Where's the aircon remote? Why can't I find it? And he's like, you know, opening every drawer and um, like that. And then when he, you know, can't find it, he addresses the room. And there's a bunch of local Filipinos there. I'm there. Tom Rydell is there. There's a bunch of witnesses to this. And he, in this uh, speech he gives, says... 
I understand why the Spanish used to cut off the arms of Filipinos. I wouldn't do it myself, but I understand it because you guys just don't follow directions. And I understand why the Spanish used to cut off your arms to teach you a lesson. And he just went on and on, and he's ranting and raving about how he is basically wants to be a conquistador. You know, I don't know how any other way to wow. put it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, my wife was a witness to that. And after that event, many people asked me, why he stays here if he hates the Philippines so much. I had to answer that question from a lot of his employees because it was so confusing. And it hurt morale in the office a lot because people started to think, do do I think that way? You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Yeah. It, it, definitely it's no way to have a good morale among office workers if everybody is wondering whether or not the boss thinks that they're racially inferior. Mm -hmm. I mean, what else am I supposed to say? Um, another, another thing I would say is, if you're just giving me time to say whatever, right now, in, in terms of the deplatforming battle that I've been working on for months now, you know, trying to keep 8chan offline, because I believe that Jim Watkins is an especially bad image board admin. I believe that Hiroyuki at 4chan does a much better job with a much better community and that it's possible to have a site like 4chan or like 8chan that doesn't inspire the violence that 8chan has and that Jim failed in his duty after Christchurch to change things to stop further violence. That's basically my argument. And You know, yeah, go ahead. No, yeah, I, I, what do you think, what do you think could have been changed about 8chan like, do you think once the Christchurch massacre happened, there was anything that could have been changed, like, that would have actually made 8chan itself less toxic? Or was it kind of past a point of no return at that state? Well, definitely the toxicity level would be something that I don't necessarily know if it could have been changed. And I'm not saying that 8chan is a good site or that it should be online. Not at all. But I am saying that there are things that Jim could have done to make it so that terrorists would not want to use his website. And he didn't do any of those things after Christchurch. Um, for example, he could have closed the poll board momentarily. 4chan has a history of closing boards that bring big problems to the site and that threaten its long-term you know, existence. So he could have closed the poll board for even a week just as like a form of mass punishment you know, against the community yeah. for inspiring that kind of attack. He could have made it clear that incitements to violence are not allowed. He could have told his, because he had Filipino employees that were moderating 8chan, he could have told them that they need to start deleting anybody that says they want to kill or shoot or go on a, a spree or that they think that one should happen, you know, anything that's overtly violent. Mm -hmm. I don't know that 8chan ever could have been like a healthy site where normal people go to express their, you know, feelings. I don't know that that's possible. But he certainly, certainly 4chan shows that yeah. you can have a community that's very far right without terrorist attacks Yeah, 4chan, happening constantly. There's a lot of unhealthiness in various parts of 4chan, right. but there's a reason it didn't spawn 
what we're dealing yes, with right basically, now. Yes, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Because the 4chan administrators and moderators take a very hard line on this. And the few attacks that have happened on 4chan, you know, there have has either been mass punishment or they've done a very good job at scrubbing the manifesto or anything like that. You know, mostly what happens on 4chan is just, like, a boyfriend will kill his, you know, girlfriend and post a picture of the body. That's disgusting, but it's not, you know, 70 people dead. And, you know, it's the, also the kind of thing when it's a community of literally millions of people, some of them will be murderers. It's like, they have, exactly, that happens yeah. on Reddit, too. And it's like, yeah, because there's, there's tens of million people 4chan, Yeah, 4chan is 10 times the size of 8chan, yeah. even at 8chan's peak. So that means there is 10 times the crazies and yet they kept them under control. Yeah, it's it's very clear um that it doesn't really take a lot to stop things. Like obviously, uh it takes a lot to stop a community from being toxic, but there's yes. there's a line between toxic and creates a an international terrorist movement and it yes, doesn't exactly. take that much yeah. work to stop the international <laughs> terrorist movement like, right um and yeah just as an image board admin for years i know that there were many things they could have done that they didn't do and they admit as much in their congressional testimony yeah so yeah they do they do they talk about um how they're like they're taking more steps and stuff which is like after the third shooting like maybe there's no more steps to take guy um yeah and did you hear that before 8chan went down or 8kun the final time yeah. it was being hosted by a russian criminal yeah a russian criminal two hours north of north korea <laughs> yes uh maybe they'll make it to north korea next time maybe uh maybe yeah. who knows yeah at, um I, it's it's pretty wild um i uh i i wonder kind of closing this out frederick do you think you'd ever create another online community? Would you ever want to deal with that again? You know, I don't think so. I recognize from my experience with 8chan that it's tough to run an online community. It's a lot harder than anyone would think. There are so many crazies out there that can turn things bad. And I just don't really have an interest in doing that anymore. I would like as much as possible to live a quiet life without 8chan. You know, I don't understand why Jim is still trying to put 8chan back online. And I'm going to keep pressuring, you know, whoever he works with just by telling them the truth about him and his company and what happened on 8chan and why you shouldn't allow it to come back. And one of the things that I think is interesting, and we don't have to include this, Frederick, if it's a little bit too personal, but... Um, you uh, uh, found religion, and it seems like more than, I don't know, at least based on the other inter interviews I've read, the thing about your faith that was really kind of transformative to your life was less the anything written in the book and more the community of human beings that you found and interact with sure. on a daily basis now. Would that be accurate? Sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously the things in the book are very valuable, but having a community is as valuable sure was this was there a time in your life before this where you had a community of people in real life that you you were spending time around like you are now unfortunately no only my co-workers you know jim yeah, tom yeah. people like that and obviously they are not a good influence on anyone yeah i i think that's 
I, 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 as someone who spent a lot of time growing up on internet communities as well, um, I, you know, I see value in them. I'm not going to say like there's nothing good about online communities. Wonderful things have been spawned by online communities. Um, sure, no doubt. But I do think um, there's no there. I, I think when I when I look at the people who fell too far down the rabbit hole and wound up in very dark places. Um, I do think how, how would it have been different if they had found a group of people in real life who weren't toxic and were supportive right. that they could like, I think that would, I think that pulls almost anybody out of that kind of spiral. I really do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you mind before we close, if I just, um, say how people can help with our deplatforming efforts or absolutely or, yeah 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 let's close on okay that. good so right now two cows is the main one that i'm trying to deal with they put eightcoon.net into client hold basically it means that they're not allowing the dns to resolve but they haven't released a statement as to why and nt technology is still a reseller of two cows as far as i know so I would really like a statement from Two Cows, just why. Why did they decide to do this? And I hope it's for the right reasons. And I hope that they will also not allow NT Technology to be a Two Cows reseller. That they will... Because basically NT Technology broke their, broke their agreement because they blocked 8CH.net Jim moved 8CH.net over to Rob Monster's Epic, and then they registered 8coon.net on 2Cows again via their anti-technology reseller account. So that should be a no-go. And, you know, I would just encourage people to tell 2Cows that we are all very curious why they put it in client hold. And we would like a statement just that. Basically... They should, number one, not give the domain to Jim Watkins. They should not give him the domain so that he can keep running, or at least trying to run, his 8chan replacement. 8chan is not what the world needs right now. It spawned multiple terrorist attacks, as this episode and we talked about. So, yeah. Basically, I would encourage people to email two cows and just tell them, you know, don't give Jim back his acoon.net domain uh, and don't let him be an anti-technology reseller. Why do you want to work with these people? And, yeah. you know, uh, if you want to look up Two Cows, uh, you can find, obviously, their website if you just Google their name, but you can also find them on Twitter yeah. at, at Two Cows. Um, I'm sure uh, uh, if, you, if you have feelings to share with them, um, <laughs> I think that would be helpful. And, of course, my Twitter, I'm always keeping track of the latest developments who's hosting HN. Yeah. So that's at HW underscore B-E-A-T underscore T-H-A-T. HW beat that. And yeah. uh, I am uh, on Twitter at I write okay. You can find this website uh, or the website for this podcast at BehindTheBastards.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at, at @bastardspod. And you can buy shirts if you're naked and need to be covered very quickly at Tee Public Behind the Bastards. <laughs> uh, Frederick, anything else before we roll out into the sunset? No, thank you very much for having me on. Thanks for being on, man. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd, cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very of all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you.